unfair territory. As I tell you guys every week, it's always difficult to figure out what exactly to talk about. We've got 30 teams, we've got a zillion storylines, but I always pick out two or three to start with. And this week, to me, the first one is fairly obvious. It's the most expensive team in Major League history. It's a team that is struggling right now. It is the New York Mets. As we sit here taping on Monday morning, the Mets are nine and a half games out of first place. They are six games behind the Marlins. Think about that for a minute. And they're only four games ahead of the last place Nationals. And to top it all off, they're probably without Pete Alonso, their best slugger, for maybe a month. He had that left wrist issue that he suffered after getting hit by a pitch. So last week, last Thursday night, late Thursday night to be precise, they had that horrific series in Atlanta. And after that third loss, remember they lost all three games after leading by three or more runs, I decided to write, this is the first real test for Mets owner Steve Cohen. And unlike before, he can't spend his way out of it, which seems to be his way of solving most baseball problems. And basically I asked the question or raised the question of the futures of manager Buck Showalter and general manager Billy Epler. In essence, I said, if this continues, and if things don't turn around, it's difficult to imagine Buck finishing the season as manager. And at some point, the general manager, Billy Epler, might be in trouble too. Okay, the next day, Joel Sherman of the New York Post reaches out to Steve Cohen and gets his take on this. The Post has a great relationship with Cohen, and Cohen spoke at length to Joel and essentially presented himself as a voice of reason, a guy who is not going to snap, sort of the anti-Steinbrenner. I want to show you one aspect or one thing he said to Joel. And what he said was, when things get really bad, I'm not going to blow it up. I don't think that's the proper response. I don't think it solves anything other than it gives people a one-day story. So basically, Cohen is saying, I can't react like a fan, which, if you think about it, is probably the same course, right? Buck Showalter, manager of the year last year, for one thing. Also, the Mets don't have an obvious in-house replacement. They don't. As for the general manager, you generally do not change GMs in the middle of a season. It's too disruptive. It's too much of a mess. And bigger picture, this is a collective failure, what's going on with the Mets. It's not the fault of any one individual. So, Cohen wants to quiet the noise, right? He wants things to settle down. He wants to see how his team plays over the next month or so even beyond, and he doesn't believe that making changes is the right way to go. Understood, again, probably the rational response, but let's see how this plays out, because if this does continue, well, there might be a change of tune. I'm not saying it would happen this season, but it might happen at the end of the season, and certainly, as much as the Mets want to quiet the noise, which is understandable, if they don't play better, that noise is only going to grow louder. All right, let's stick with the same division. The division leader, the Atlanta Braves. Much different scenario entirely. And let's go big picture on the Braves just to start off with, too. Here's a team that currently lacks two of its top starting pitchers, Max Fried and Kyle Wright, both on the injured list. You go back further, they're without Dansby Swanson. Lost him as a free agent. Go back even further than that without Freddie Freeman. Lost him as a free agent the year before, the offseason before. And here they are leading the division. They had a seven-game winning streak snapped yesterday. 
And they have a guy who might be the best player on the planet right now in Ronald Acuna Jr. Listen to what Chipper Jones had to say about Acuna. This blew me away when I heard it. A little bit of an adjustment last year, but man, he has worked his tail off. And uh, I've said it many times. I believe that this young man is the most talented player to ever don a Braves uniform. Now, Hank Aaron wore a Braves uniform. That's one. Chipper Jones, number one pick in the draft, wore a Braves uniform. That's two. Smoltz, Glavin, Maddox, you can go right down the line. They're pitchers, I know, but they're all quite talented. So for Chipper to say that about Acuna, who right now looks like the runaway MVP in the National League, that is a strong statement. But of course, it's not just Acuna. It's Marcel Ozuna, who a lot of people in Atlanta wanted released in April, and not unreasonably. He is in the midst of a career revival. It's Orlando Arcia, who replaced Swanson and who has been brilliant before going on the injured list and after. And it's the starting pitching. No matter what happens with the Braves, no matter which starting pitchers go down, they always seem to have more. Bryce Elder, he is performing at an all-star caliber level. A.J. smith Shaver. Now, this dude, it seems like he just started pitching yesterday. That's the story on him. He basically just picked up pitching a few years ago. And now he's in the rotation, or at least he made one start. Great start. Five and one-third innings, no runs. Amazing. Jared Schuster, he's been okay since coming back. Again, they keep coming and coming and coming with more. And eventually they'll get freed and right back. They are a team that just seems to figure it out every season, no matter what happens. Remember, they replaced Freeman with Matt Olson. They brought in Sean Murphy this offseason. They replaced Dansby with Orlando Arcia. It just is a machine that keeps on rolling. And I want to mention one other guy as well. This guy is one of my favorites because he's one of the most gentlemanly players, just a class act. His name is Jesse Chavez. He's 39 years old. This is his 16th season, and it might be his best. Take a look at this from my colleague at The Athletic, Dave O'Brien. The Braves' 39-year-old Jesse Chavez should make the damn all-star team. There, I said it. Dude has a 1.55 ERA and a one whip in 30 appearances after a retiring all six batters face today, including three Ks, 36 Ks, nine walks, and 29 innings. He'll be 40 in August. Now, I happen to agree with Dave. If I was picking the All-Star team right now, and keep in mind we're a month away from the game, i put Jesse Chavez on it. And I'd put him on it, and fans would go crazy saying, there are all the people more deserving. What are you doing? He's 39. He's not a guy we want to... No. This is the precisely the kind of player that should be honored at the All-Star Game. He's had a unique career. He's been all over the place. And here he is at 39, almost 40, performing at the highest level. I love it. I love the Jesse Chavez story. And let's hope he does keep it going and make the All-Star team. And finally today, I would like to talk as well about the Reds. And during the Fox broadcast on Saturday, John Smoltz, my colleague, brought up an interesting idea and it did not involve the teams that were playing on the field, the Red Sox and Yankees. Sometimes we talk about other things as well. It's a national broadcast. We don't have to focus for the entire time on the teams on the field. And John raised the possibility of the Reds trading their closer, Alexis Diaz, who is 15 for 15 in save opportunities with a 1.71 ERA. Earlier in the week, MLB Network had broached the same subject, talking about trading Diaz. And that kind of caused my colleague... Trent Rosecrans of The Athletic to flip out a little bit. Here is what Trent said. Jesus, 
MLB Network is once again talking about the Reds trading Alexis Diaz. I swear, the network wants just two teams in New York and every good player has to be in New York. It's freaking ridiculous. Well, I'm with Trent on this because the idea of trading Diaz to me makes no sense at all. And I said as much on the broadcast when Joe Davis came to me and said, OK, Ken, what do you think of this idea? I said, no, the Reds are just starting to get going again. This is the last thing they want to do. Rip it up. And I wrote today in the Athletics Free Daily Newsletter, The Windup, about the idea that the Reds might actually steal the NL Central. I mean, it's not like anybody else is so good in this division. So why would you be trading your closer at a time when you're just kind of coming out of it here? You're coming out of your rebuild. You've got life in the park. You've got Ellie De La Cruz. You've got Andrew Abbott. All these great things happening. Oh, and another thing, your division stinks. Let's go through the fabled NL Central. The Pirates. Rotation depth is alarming right now. They are down to really four, and they're at the bare minimum with starting pitching. The Brewers. The Brewers just got swept by the A's. The A's at home. The Cubs. Oh, the beloved Cubbies. They're already talking about trading Marcus Stroman. That's the primary topic around the team. Actually, they're not talking about it. Everybody else is. And the Cardinals, the almighty Cardinals, the team that plays the best brand of baseball in front of the best fans in baseball, they're 12 games under 500. they They're a hot mess. So, granted, the Reds have their own issues. I know that. They've got only a 3.9% chance of reaching the postseason, according to Fangraphs, as we speak. Their starting pitching is next to last in ERA in the majors. I get all this. And they would have to add, obviously, to really mount a push here. But my goodness, Dela Cruz has put a jolt of excitement into this franchise. They have a number of good young players. They have more to come. They should be good for several years now. And Alexis Diaz is under control for four more years after this one. You don't trade Alexis Diaz at a time like this. As I wrote this morning, this balloon is just starting to inflate. You don't puncture it right now. All right, time now for the inside dish. This is the segment where I either go inside a story I've written or talk about a story deeper developing in Major League Baseball. This week, I'm going to get a little bit inside baseball with regard to the writing process. Now, I know maybe not all people are interested in this, but people always ask me about how we go about our jobs. So I figured in this one instance, why not? We'll talk a little bit about it. Now, I mentioned that Mets column I wrote last Thursday night. That was pretty short. It was about 600 words. And some people reached out to me afterwards and said, we'd like a deeper analysis, Ken. 600 words. I mean, this was just superficial. <laughs> okay. That day, I had finished a much deeper story on Bruce Bochy. That's about 3,300 words. It's running Monday morning. It's out there right now. And it's a long look at what makes Bochy such a good manager. So I'm going to take you through the process of how I came to write that story and how I went about it. And it starts with the idea that we needed at The Athletic a good Rangers story, a deeper Rangers story. Our beat writer, Levi Weaver, who had been covering the Rangers, is now writing the free daily newsletter that I sometimes refer to. We don't currently have a Rangers beat writer. So I'm looking at the team and I'm thinking, okay, I'm a national writer. I cover all the teams. How do I go about this? What's the most interesting thing about the team? I settled on Bochy. Now, I could have chosen 
a dozen different topics. There are a lot of interesting things going on with the Rangers. But Bochy, to me, three-time World Series champion, fans know who he is. It would be a really cool thing to do. So about a week and a half ago, I started making phone calls. Now, you always prefer to do interviews in person. It's just a much better thing. You can read body language. It's a conversation rather than on the phone or Zoom or anything else. But I haven't been around the Rangers lately, and I don't think I will be around them anytime soon either based on my Fox schedule. So I just started making calls, and I have a lot of numbers of people in the game. And with the people I didn't have, some players in particular, I needed help from agents, and agents connected me with the players. I can do this because I've been doing this job a long time. People generally know who I am. So if I ask on a subject that is non-controversial, people are not going to give me a problem. They're going to generally try to help. If it was a controversial topic and I'm asking agents to get me in touch with players, it would be shutdown mode. But it wasn't the case. Bruce Bochy, everyone wants to talk about him. So I thought... This would be a good topic to explore, as I said, and I started making these phone calls. And ultimately, I decided to write it, and I came up with an outline. Now, I always outline these longer stories because I'm not, in my view, the most natural of writers. In my head, I've never asked Tom Verducci about this, but I feel that this is probably the case. It seems to me like Tom could sit down and start writing, and 5,000 words would just flow out of his fingers. Maybe that's not true. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's not true. Tom would tell me that, but it seems that way to me. So when I do a story like this, I generally transcribe all my interviews and then I outline them and I make an outline like this. I'm not going to put it any closer to the camera. You'll never be able to read what I'm saying, but I divide the stories into sections and I kind of just put it together that way. It allows me to organize my thoughts and just kind of follow not a formula, because it's not formulaic what you're doing, but a process, a, an organized outline and process. So then I wrote it. It takes me on a story like that usually more than a day. It, it drifted into a second day. And I got it done last Thursday, the night the Mets blew the lead in Atlanta for the third straight day. And we ran it today. Now, why the lag? Well, a couple of things. We wanted to schedule it on a Monday in this particular case. We thought the story would be of interest to a lot of people. And stories like this require a little bit more editing than your average story. And I have, The Athletic has, one of the great editors that I've worked with. Actually, the best word editor I've worked with. Her name is Emma Spann. And she can see things in stories that, frankly, are incredible. She sees the flaws. In fact, if I think I've got maybe a problem area in the story, she always goes right to it. It's like she's reading my mind. And she generally has some really good suggestions. Had some on this story as well. We had to clean some things up. We had to maybe tighten some things. And that's the process of how we got to publishing this story today. So with a story like this, the thing I like most about it is that I learned things along the way that I didn't know. And obviously that's a good thing if it happens because it enables me to share things with readers that maybe they didn't know. Sometimes the readers are smarter than me and they know more than me. I get it. Yes, that's true. That happens. But in the case of Bochi, I learned a whole lot. One was how his mind works and how quickly he processes things, even at a relatively advanced age, 68, 
even though he's done this forever, even though he had been out for three years. Remember, he had not managed since 2019 before taking the Rangers job last October. And yet, he still is right on everything. And in fact, this was something I thought was really cool. He doesn't take notes during games. Bruce Bochy just watches the game and he processes everything right there as it's happening in real time. He is ahead of every move. We know he runs a great bullpen. He will pick up things in the other dugout. Maybe a guy stirring around who might be getting ready to pinch it in the other bullpen. Relievers moving around. He'll see a first baseman playing off the line. He'll say, move him over. All of these things he's picking up, and he never takes a note, never keeps score. He also has adapted to this new era of baseball, the analytical era. And I spoke with the Rangers statistical analyst who works most closely with Bochy and the staff. His name is Bobby Bandolo. And he said that he thought coming in, Bochy would be resistant to what he has. He was very worried. Bobby Bandolo is a 30-year-old guy. He's working in this role for the first time this year with the team every day. And yet, Bochy from the first day of spring training was open to everything. Now, he doesn't always use everything. No manager does. But he's open. He wants to know all of the information. He told me, I don't want anybody having the edge on me. So that was something else I learned. And then the last thing, and actually there's a much more to this story than even what I'm telling you here. But the last thing that really stood out to me was his sense of humor. The players, the coaches, consider Bochy to be a riot. And I've got a number of anecdotes in there toward the end of the story, just relating some of the things that he has said to players and coaches during the course of the season. He does that because that's his personality. And he does it, I think, to relax people, too, and to kind of make sure that everybody is on the same page. He gave a great introductory talk at the start of spring training. This is in the story as well. That really fired up the players. John Gray said that he felt after... Coach's initial speech that he was part of something bigger than himself. And this is what Bochy does. He puts players and coaches at ease. He, of course, runs the game like no one else. He is respected because of that. And for all those reasons, I thought this would just be a really cool thing to write about. And it turned out that way, at least from my perspective. The readers will have their own say and their own opinions. But I encourage you to read it if you obviously are interested in baseball and the way a manager of his caliber works. It doesn't have to be a story that is appreciated just by Rangers fans or even Giants fans or even Padres fans, what Bochy was before going to Texas. It's just the story of a guy who's been a baseball lifer and who is back now with this team, second in the majors in winning percentage. They got beat two or three by the Rays this weekend. That's the best team in the majors, the Rays. But the Rangers are right there with them. They've had an amazing year, and the manager is a big part of it. They have essentially the same players. Granted, they bought an entirely new rotation. They brought in Evaldi, Heaney, and Jacob deGrom, who has barely contributed. But it's a lot of the same guys. Some of them, some of the younger ones have just matured, and some of the older ones, the veterans, Seeger, Semyon, they're settling in now. It's their second year. Remember, they were without Seeger for a month. They were without Mitch Garver for a time. And here they are, just kicking butt in the American League West. So that's the story. Bruce Bochy, that's why I wrote it. That's how I went about writing it. Hope you enjoy it. All right, here we go with the dude and dork of the week. Lots of honorable mentions this week. 
Let's start with Andrew McCutcheon. 2,000 hits. Great achievement by Kutch. It's great to see him back in Pittsburgh, leading the Pirates revival. Congratulations on 2,000. Ellie De La Cruz. We talked about him earlier. He came up, he saw, he conquered. In baseball, when a player is really good, they actually use the term dude, as in he's a dude. Ellie De La Cruz is a dude. Finally, and these are just the honorable mentions, John Sterling. John Sterling is the famed, legendary Yankees broadcaster. He is 85 years old. For that alone, he could be due to the week because he's still working at 85. It's amazing to me that he can do that. But also, he took a foul ball off his eye during Saturday's Red Sox-Yankees broadcast. This was the ninth inning. And he finished the game. Went on as if nothing happened. It's a 3-2 count. It was amazing. So those are the honorable mentions. And you guys might quibble with who I'm going to pick as dudes of the week. It is multiple dudes of the week. But the Oakland A's, ladies and gentlemen, have won five straight games. Five straight from a team that was headed for, I don't know, 140 losses. Still might be for all we know. But the A's have done it. They've won the five straight, and they've done it against two of the supposed NL Central powers, the Pirates and Brewers. And the reason they're dudes of the week is because the players, the coaching staff, and Mark Kotze, they've gone through a lot this year. This is a team with a lack of talent, a lack of resources, a lack of payroll, a lack of a quality home park, a lack of a committed ownership, a team that has been playing through this whole relocation saga that is going on with Las Vegas. It's not easy for these guys. And I remember talking to some of them at the start of the season. They were already down and dejected. I spoke to some people with their staff in recent weeks, and it's been really tough on them. So the A's, players, coaches, and manager Mark Kotze, they're the dudes of the week, not ownership. No, not them. The players, coaches, and the manager. Now, one more thing on the A's. Oh, let's not forget. Tomorrow, tomorrow night in Oakland, it's reverse boycott tailgate night. They're going to try to sell out the park and show their support of the fans. And they're going to give out these t-shirts. The fans actually did their own promotion. They're going to give out these t-shirts. Obviously, the message is pretty clear. They want the owner, John Fisher, to sell. I don't know that that's going to happen, but I am looking forward to seeing the antics at that park tomorrow night. All right. Now, those are the dudes of the week, the A's players, coaches, manager. Dork of the week is kind of the flip side of the equation. We're going to give it to the Kansas City Royals franchise. Because if you've noticed, the Royals, who ostensibly are trying this year, unlike the A's who have kind of mailed it in, at least from a payroll perspective, the Royals are leading the A's by only two games in the standings. Let's take a look at this. Let's take a look at the current cellar-dweller standings. Kansas City, 18-47. and 47. The A's, 17-50. and 50. And of course, the A's are on this roll. They've won five straight. So the Royals have spent $92 million on payroll this year, $20 million of it going to Sal Perez. The A's have spent less than $60 million. That's where these teams are. They're $30 million apart, and the Royals are still this bad. And for me, there are a lot of things wrong here. Remember, they let Dayton Moore go. They let their manager go, and they replaced him with Matt Cotraro. Matheny's gone. Cotraro's in. And yet they're still in this state, and it's not anybody who has taken the jobs recently it's not their fault it's the fault somewhat of a draft that was supposed to be so promising for them 
the 2018 draft in which they had four of the top 40 picks and selected four pitchers. I'm going to show you who they were. Brady Singer, he's got like a 6 ERA. Jackson Cower, he's in the bullpen. Lynch, he's been hurt, and Bubik had Tommy John surgery. Lynch is back now, but he was hurt earlier. None of these guys has really burst onto the scene in a big way. And when you have a draft like that, when you've got four of the top 40 and you're a low-revenue team, you've got to hit. You've got to hit on them at least one or two, and the Royals have not done that. They also have not done well from an offensive perspective. They've got a lot of promising young hitters, but it's not happening for them right now. So the pitching is the big thing. And, yeah, they've got Jordan Lyles and Zach Greinke, but the young pitching has not come to the fore. A year ago or so, the Athletics' Andy McCullough and Rustin Dodd wrote a long story about the Royals' pitching development process. It was not flattering, and we're kind of seeing it all come to pass here. So the Royals' franchise, as a whole, they're the dorks of the week because if you're kind of brushing up against the A's, it means you're not doing too well. This week, for the second straight week on Fox, we're going to have Yankees-Red Sox. I know that ticks off a lot of people around the country. But the fact of the matter is, people watch these games. That's why Fox chooses to broadcast them. And even though there was a lot of chatter going into last week's games that this rivalry is not what it used to be, bottom line is, when these teams play, the games are invariably interesting. And it happened again over the weekend. Now, maybe it happened because the Yankees are without Aaron Judge and Without him, their offense is not the same, and maybe the Red Sox are more on their level. But the games were terrific, and each day was something else. So Yankees-Red Sox again on Fox, and it will be from Fenway Park this week. I'm looking forward to it. Now, on to the reader and listener questions. First one, coming from Cubs account. What does David Ross have to do to get fired? And why is Jed Hoyer refusing to engage with Marcus Stroman, the best player in the NL by B-War, on an extension? Okay, first, Ross. So fans like to fire managers. They like to think that that's going to make a huge difference in their club. But a couple of things have to take place. One, managerial incompetence. I don't know that we're seeing that from David Ross. Yes, you can question certain decisions. You can do that with every manager. By and large, I don't know that what is taking place on the field is the responsibility of Ross. In fact, the president of baseball operations, Jed Hoyer, said recently the bullpen, which has been a huge problem for them, that's on me, Jed Hoyer, not Ross, because they didn't supplement well enough. And you also, when you fire a manager, you need to have a replacement ready, and I don't know that the Cubs do. Andy Green is their bench coach. He was the Padres manager for a while. Wasn't a successful manager. Could be reasons that weren't necessarily related entirely to Andy Green, but he wasn't. You could put him in there, but where are you going with this? Which was kind of the point Steve Cohen made. So that's not happening. At least I don't believe it's happening anytime soon. The Stroman thing, I wrote about this a few weeks ago. He does want an extension. He does want to stay with the Cubs. I imagine that at some point before the deadline, which is still seven weeks away, the Cubs are going to engage him. But they want to make sure he's healthy and want to make sure he keeps going at this rate or something close to it before committing any more money. And my guess is they're not going to get this done anyway because Stroman is going to take a look and see the free agent market and think, you know what, I'm two months away. I know I love it here, but maybe I can do even better. So I still believe a trade is the most likely outcome for Marcus Stroman. 
Next question from Sky at Gonsolin RBW. Rich relievers are drawing interest that fans might not know a lot about. This is a good question. And relievers are always popular items at the deadline. Teams always need bullpen help. They always need rotation help too. But relievers, it seems like in many cases, they're interchangeable. Their performances, of course, are volatile. Teams take chances. Sometimes they hit. Sometimes they don't. I'll give you a few names outside of a role as Chapman, who is the most obvious. The Nationals have three guys that teams like. Kyle Finnegan, Carl Edwards Jr., Hunter Harvey. The Tigers, they also have three that teams like, actually more even. Alex Lang, Jason Foley, and Will Vest. Now, some of those pitchers will not get traded for whatever reason. Some because they've got a good amount of control left. The Tigers guys, for instance. I don't know that the Tigers are going to necessarily entertain things unless it's a high price in return. But we'll see plenty of relievers moved. We'll see more names emerge as teams fall out of contention, if they do, in this expanded playoff format. But I expect, again, as I do every deadline, that a bunch of relievers will get traded. This one comes from Abe, and Abe asks, The average European sports fan tends to be primarily invested in football, for your listeners, better known as soccer. What should the person focus on when stumbling upon a baseball game to get hooked on this sport? Abe, I could answer this question in a hundred different ways. And one of the things I like best about baseball is that people can enjoy it from a variety of perspectives. Maybe you're rooting for a certain team. Maybe you have a certain player that you deem as your favorite. Maybe you're a fantasy sports player. Maybe you're a native of a certain country and you root for players from your country. All of these things are perfectly valid ways to enjoy baseball. What I think is the coolest thing, the thing I would mention to that fan from Europe, is that players come from all over the world, all different kinds of backgrounds, all different shapes and sizes. Aaron Judge is here. Jose Altuve is here. And these guys are both extremely gifted at their sport and they work extremely hard at it. So that's the thing I would maybe point to, the diversity of the players and how these guys are also different. They have different skills and they display them as such. We could talk all day about this, but I'll start there, Abe. And finally, odd question coming from Socks South. This odd question is, can you tell me where you got the shelves behind you, the store, the brand? I love the look. I think I need to get it from my office. Now, to answer this question, I had to consult the true expert in the family, the one who put the shelves together, or at least designed this idea, and that's my wife. She is the one who came up with the idea, and if you notice, over this shoulder, there's a little gap. That is a standing desk, and this was actually a whole thing that came from the container store. It's the EFLA system, so that's the answer. The container store, the EFLA system, they get a free ad this week on Fair Territory because, look, they did a great job on my shelves. All right, I want to thank all the viewers, all the listeners, some great questions this week. Remember, you can subscribe to us on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next week. We'll be back, of course. And thanks again, everyone. Spicy Ball is back for BetMGM sports players. Download the BetMGM sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit into your newly created account and place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if it loses. If the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Got to use that promo code SPICYBALL. 
Always bet responsibly. Gambling problem or concern? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.